Tim Weichselbaum Show. This is episode 49 of the program. What a beautiful song to open on. I just discovered that it's only two minutes long. It's less than two minutes long. It's a short song. Very fitting to this personality that I am projecting onto y'all this evening and afternoon. It's actually come, coming to you live at 10.52 a.m. That's a first for me. I usually record this at 10.52 double a.m., meaning that I stayed up the whole night until two of them happened before going to bed. Nope, I'm not sleep-deprived today. I'm currently killing it in terms of that. Anyway, addicts, what the hell is the point of those? I can't believe it's legal to build a house where you have to go into the garage as the homeowner and climb into a hole in the ceiling there's no what is it the 1700s i gotta go crawl i gotta climb up a hole in a ceiling to change a filter in my air conditioner every month the future is not yet in it so i being a homeowner is not ideal and if you're not like a loaded one if you can't pay somebody else to do every little thing it's like all of a sudden oh I'm the dude from Breaking Bad. I'm like uh, Walter White. I got to go under the crawl space for God knows what. Not to store money. No, to fix shit. To fix a water heater. Anyway, so I can't believe that's legal. I mean, I had to go up there yesterday. I mean, I, I was thinking like, well, it'd be very easy to die if I just fell off this horribly low-quality ladder thing. If I just fell backwards, just lost my balance, I'd be dead. And then when I got into the attic, you know, I was terrified because I was looking for spiders, making sure I where there wasn't much of those up there. There was definitely some spider activity signs of thereof. Therefore, I was freaked out. Anyway, it was super hot up there, so I was like, okay, here's another thing I just found out about being a, about how this is extremely dangerous. If I just, you know, passed out from heat stroke up here, yeah, that'd be the last anyone would ever hear from me. I don't have anybody living with me going like oh he's been up in the attic for a long time maybe he's died of heat stroke anyway it's a good day uh i, I am currently suffering from rosacea or eczema or something something like that so i got a bunch of red splotches on my face so i think we're going to turn off the four it's enough for this 4k let's go back to standard def let's turn on the barbara walter filter okay that's better so anyway, I got a haircut yesterday, and man, was it $90. I spent $90 to look this good. It was actually a $50 haircut, so that means I over-tipped quite a... Okay, so I, I think I definitely over-tipped. Here's how I know I over-tipped. When I put in $40 into the thing, he was like, Are you sure you want to tip? Did you mean to do 40 
I'm just making sure you didn't mean to do four. I'm like, you think I'm only going to tip you $4? Did you not see the Miata that I pulled up in outside? I was insulted that he thought I would be that cheap. So in the end, I kind of regret being that generous. But in the, the problem is I was giving off big tipper vibes. It was my fault at the get because he asked me what I was doing for the past five months that I've been not getting a haircut. And I was just like very honest. I, you know, I'm not going to make something. Like what am I going to say? I could have just said nothing. I could have just been like just chilling. But no, I said, oh, just trying to figure out what to do with my, I've just been staying in, trying to figure out what to do with my life, like avoiding society. That's what I say to people that know me. I don't, why would I say that this, to the barber? But it wasn't that big a, I mean, who cares? He was, uh, so anyway, oh, oh yeah, I said, he said, okay, what do you do for work? And I was like, I don't know, I'm in between careers. I, I was a programmer. And I'm sick of that because I already mastered it. So it's like, well, okay, I want to do something else. He's like, oh, I respect it. How is that? It's like, it's like, it's a good starter career. That's the most arrogant sounding shit you could tell somebody who's not, who doesn't, I don't know, because, you know, he's not, he wasn't some broke guy. He's like the owner of the place. He is the owner of a barbershop. He's a sole proprietor. I don't think he was jealous that like, he didn't. I, but I, it got awkward after that because I said, yeah, I fucking mastered programming. But like, what I meant by that was I'm bored of it. I'm, I've made enough money from it. And it was, it's a job. It's not like, oh, I want to be, I love programming. Yeah, I just love, I just love sitting there looking at code all day. Because that gets you a lot of pussy, you know? Okay, so it got awkward when I was like, yeah, I have these days you either go into tech or you struggle to pay bills. He was like, yep. And that's, that's when it got silent. So I was like, fuck, I just made myself look like a 1% like douchebag who's like, but um, not really. I mean, that's kind of true. If you live in the Austin metro, yeah, you're either a program, you're either, you're, you're either in tech or you're fucking struggling. Uh, so I didn't, I was just stating a fact. And anyway, so that's what I was like, oh fuck, now I gotta tip him a shitload of money to live up to what I was saying and just to not feel guilty. I was, I guilted myself into over tipping. And, uh, he was the owner of the, of this boutique barber shop that's been open since like the 30s, you know? So I was like, this guy deserves money. But it, over, uh, thinking back on it, like he wasn't that great. Like, he gave me a good haircut, but, like, um, he kept making the same jokes that he made last time. And, like, I didn't laugh. And I, it's not my fault that I'm, not, that I'm not... Like, sometimes you think, you project these things onto people thinking that they're, like, cool and, like, not and impervious to being awkward. But, no, anyone could be awkward. It doesn't matter if you own your own barbershop, if you're a veteran with a bunch of cool little, like, pins that show that you're a veteran. I thought he was cooler than me. He is probably in many situations, but, like, I was like, damn, you just made, you made the same joke you did last five months ago. I just, like, rolled my eyes a little bit, and, like, what can I, you know, it's not my fault. 
Okay, let's get into the into the podcast. So the brown recluse update. Um, I live in a te- I live in Texas. There's a lot of bugs that are uh, very like undesirable. There's a couple. Oh, you know. There's one called the brown recluse spider, and uh, yeah, I took care of them. I murdered them. I, got, I I they show up here and there. They showed up in my bathroom. There was one on me. There was one. That bit me. I had like a tiny. I had a, had like two fang marks on my arm here, on my upper arm. And I was like, well, it's, I mean, I don't remember nicking my. I don't remember that happening. And it, yeah, recluse bites are not painful. They're painless. So I didn't. Fuck, I didn't even know this one happened. But it must have been in my shirt and got pressed up against the skin somehow. So I saw these red fang marks. You know. And I just doused it in, in rubbing alcohol, and that was pretty much that was probably a good idea because it started healing and a little ring around it too, like a little ring of inflammation. And that is kind of that's what they look like when they're super new and mild, and then they get horribly they get worse sometimes, leading to like a deep welt in your skin in your flesh that never fully heals. So fuck brown recluse. Uh, I've and so I had, you know, the pest people came by a couple of days ago, and all they did was spray some fucking chemical, some concoction on the baseboards of my around the house, the interior. That's it. They didn't go in the attic. They did the garage, but they only did the the outline, just the board, the the fucking baseboard. Of my and like it's like I'm not impressed with that level of treatment. When we were, when we we're dealing with a recluse, I was hoping they would pull out the big guns. They didn't even go in the attic, which is clearly they gotta be up there. I'll find out because I laid a trap. I'll find out soon enough if that's indeed what's up there, and I'll call them and I'll pull out the Karen card and I'll be like, "Can I just ask why you didn't do my fucking? Did you, can I just ask why didn't you do my attic?" When you get the brown recluse, because you know. So that, because I have a feeling that since they treated it as just a general pest, they didn't even give a fuck that it was recluse. It was like, okay, so where are the pests mostly a problem? And I was like, it's not just pests, it's fucking the, the one, it's the one that leaves fucking deep flesh eating wounds. So did you not know, did you not get briefed on that? And so, no, it was just the general same shit they do for any kind of pest, it seems. And I don't think it's going to do anything, because I already have access to fucking chemicals I could just spray around that. That shit, I already have that. They didn't do anything I couldn't have done myself. So I just think it's kind of like a business, the, the business model is to not actually solve the problem. It's to keep you on the subscription model so that they could look like they're keeping your house free of bugs. But I haven't even seen any dead ones. Every bug is still alive. They haven't done shit. So if they're not going to solve the root problem, I'm kicking them to the curb. I I could be my own exterminator. I'm going to use coldness to kill them. Not, you know... Recluse want to go where it's warm. Right now, it's still pretty goddamn warm in parts of my house. In the attic, it's definitely freaking like 90 degrees still. But when it gets real cold, I'm just going to leave the house vacant. I'll just turn the thermostat 
off when it's like as cold as possible in Texas, which is not that, you know, 40 degrees, maybe 20 degrees a couple of days. And that'll be enough to hopefully give them to be like, oh, well, this place sucks. And I won't be there at the time because I'm not going to be here if it's 20 degrees in the house. Anyway, so that's what that's the plan. I mean, I, I pretty much experienced a lot of re. I have a lot of experience with these fucking recluses. Like you know, like I, they're getting bigger and easier to identify as I see them more and more. So fuck that. I'm having a lot of narcissistic thoughts because I'm, I've been recently treated for a new disease that I have called ADHD that I just forgot that I had for about 15 years. I thought it was just like a joke disease. I thought it was just like a thing that they invented. And if I thought the school systems just used it as an excuse to give your kids drugs so they would pay attention, so they would behave better, mostly just that, just to behave better. Who gives a shit if they get good grades? They just don't want them to be a raucous for other students and all that. I thought that's what it was. It, it is kind of that. It is. It does affect your behavior. Uh, it makes you more impulsive and, and thrill-seeking. God damn it. Thrill-seeking, and that's why I, I get into trouble sometimes when I was untreated. So I just recently became treated. That's why I'm more cool, calm, and collected. That's why I'm able to stand for a long period of time is because dopamine makes you want to move more. It makes you just want to do shit. Dopamine makes you want to move, and moving makes you want to do shit, and doing leads to making shit. Making shit leads to people paying you money, and it's like a positive feedback loop. It's like, oh, if people are going like, to encourage me to keep making shit, I guess I'm going to keep doing the drug. It's a good drug, but it's also such a fucking good drug that you're going to have a very bad time if you get too used to doing it, you know? We'll get more into that, but I'm talking about narcissism right now. I don't think I have narcissistic personality disorder, but I definitely have uh, a lot of thoughts now that I'm treated and now that my brain is firing on all cylinders, I'm starting to like see through the bullshit. Now that the brain fog is cleared, like I don't know. I don't know if it's that I'm just... Be I've always been that way. I've always been a douche, but now I'm like actually able to act like a douche in front of other people and I don't even feel bad because it's like I feel like it's earnest like if I see someone driving like a bad driver which is every time I go out anywhere I mean there's always going to be an aggressive driver if you're driving in Texas in a metropolitan like Austin or Dallas or especially Houston like there's it's horrible um so I I just go well that guy's acting He's in the wrong. I mean, I'm not going to get over. I'm just going to not even make a change in my behavior. What's not no detectable change when somebody's tailgating me and I'm not in the fast. I'm just minding my own business, driving perfectly normal, safe, safe following distance and all that. Just trying to get to where I'm going. I, uh, yeah, I just completely act exactly the same way i don't give them any satisfaction by looking at them through the rearview mirror i don't have to it's, it's there's something called peripheral vision so you don't have you, you could tell that they're there 
The only reason to make eye contact is if you're trying to be a confrontational, if you're trying to communicate something to them. So I don't do that. And then if they get along my card when they're just pissed off trying to like show that they're pissed off, I don't know, people do that. Um, I, I just do the same thing. I just, I just completely act as if they are invisible. And I think that's the best way to react, even though, sure, it could ask, even doing nothing, like, even just doing that could cause an escalation if they're that fucked up in the head. But I just have a feeling nobody's going to, like, shoot somebody in the head bef like if they don't even know that they're being threatened first. Like, they're going to at least try to get me to look at them before they shoot me. Of course, there's exceptions to every rule. There are some people fucking crazy enough to murder people who are simply not even interacting, like completely removed from the... It's a one-sided situation. I mean, that happens in Chicago. There's just, like, People just shoot people randomly. Um, not even talking about gangs. I'm talking about like just murderous. Murderous murders on the street. It's random and it's unpredictable. So uh, narcissism. I don't know. I guess, okay, another reason, another way it's coming out is like I'm realizing that I am actually pretty damn intelligent. Like I'm actually pretty good at coming up with, sh with like original ideas and solve my problem solving skills are not that bad. It's just that without the executive function skills, you do feel pretty goddamn retarded. If you're untreated with ADHD, that's a, like 10 points that you're missing out on in IQ. So if you take Adderall, you're going to get all, your, it's going to unlock your full IQ. It's like a smart drug, but you have to already be smart for it to work. It's not going to make a dumb person any smarter if they don't have ADHD. It removes the handicap that prevents ADHDers from reaching their full potential. It doesn't add anything on, on top of it that's valuable it does add stuff to, it has an additive effect but that isn't what i'm taking it for that, that would be abuse i think because yeah if you take enough you're going to start having thoughts that are no longer based in reality because you're, you're going to be so active and like i said if you're moving around you're going to be making shit you're going to be thinking of shit and th so that's an additive effect you're going to be writing shit down and yeah, if you take enough, the shit that you're going to be writing is going to be fucking insane. You're going to be like trying to come up with conspiracy theories. You're going to be trying to resolve conspiracies. And it's called delusion. It's called psych. It's a form of psychosis. But hey, I think I have not reached that point yet. And, and, and I'm not doing it for that. But it's sure as hell makes me more inclined to just come up with so many more fucking jokes. Like I came up with another, I don't know how much, but just what I feel is a very substantial amount of funny jokes that are not ready to be, you know, they're new, they're premises. I got to work them out and actually see how they sound. I just, they're just funny, they're just funny like premises. They're not, it's not stand-up yet until you reduce it down to just the setup and punchline you know they're wordies but they're fun the point is, is like i just knew as i was writing them that they're high quality compared to how i was before getting uh, treated for this shit so that gives you more confidence and that puts a pep in your step because like okay if i know that i came up with something funny i'm gonna be more confident even if i don't do those jokes on stage i, I know i i know that i have them
And you know, whatever. So I guess the narcissism part is that, I don't know, it's just like I feel, I'm starting to have these thoughts of like, holy shit, I'm fucking a genius. But it's not the bad kind of narcissism where I think I'm better than other people. Like, I don't, it's not like a toxic. It's like the kind where, okay, I feel very powerful uh, in a way that makes me want to do shit and put shit out. And I don't know, because every, every fucking successful artist probably has that sense of self-aggrandizing, uh, like sense of narcissistic, like uh, Pablo Picasso. You think he didn't think he was fucking awesome? Uh, like Louis C.K. He definitely loves being, he, he enjoys being Louis C.K. Like he, he, he likes that people get excited whenever he shows up and he could just be himself and get currency paid back to him just for being who he is that's a very gratifying feeling and i guess there it feels so self-indulgent um to get that kind of validation with so little effort you just show up you, you you're you know you be yourself you say like one funny thing like yeah that's me people expect you to be yourself if they whatever so anyway that's who i'm gonna be i'm gonna be the next louis ck now that i'm now that i figured out what was wrong with me jesus christ man like you need you need to be confident man you need to like actually like be proud of what you're putting out or else why would you want to like show it to people if you're writing all these things down and you don't actually think they're worth sharing you got to maintain the drive and the passion for what you're producing in anything, in comedy and whatever, in any form of work, even if you work at McDonald's. Never mind, McDonald's is probably a bad example. Anyway, so that's, that's cool. I forgot what I was leading up to with that, something about how, like, uh, yeah, you have to be that way in anything. You have to be proud of what you're doing because then you can consistently deliver on it at the same level. You don't have this, like, oh, I'm sick of that, so I'm not going to... You could tell when somebody's sick of what they're doing. So if you're not proud of it, if you're not in it... Um, and that was my problem. I got sick of shit because it wasn't giving me the same dopamine as the first time I did it. So if you don't get any benefit paid to you by repeating something, you're not going to do it. And that's ADHD. It's the dope. It's the, uh... so that was stopping me from getting a lot of places. But uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about that yet. We still got a few things to cover in the episode before we get to the heavy topics that are actually going to hold up to the test of time and be seen by a lot of people i mean this is this is it's good that i'm recording actually let's switch back to 4k okay now that we're in 4k um it's 1080p but it's reduced it's being uh it's going through a 4k sensor and then being downscaled through a uh pretty nice camera and like even 20 years from now or however long 80 years from now when people are researching my life because obviously I'll be famous at some point. Like after I'm dead, maybe is when I'll, it'll happen. Who knows? I don't care. I'm not chasing fame, but I'm just saying I have. A, I know something about myself, and that's the narcissism that I'm talking about right there. That I. It's like I have this deep-rooted feeling that I'm special, and I will be 
important, like the words I'm saying or whatever, or at least at some point I'll do something important and that'll lead to people digging up this podcast to, to, to study me. Um, I'm sorry, I, I, that's just what I think. Prove me wrong. I mean, hey, you'll see. You've... So anyway, perfect pitch is a skill. It's not a skill. It's an innate ability that many people don't have that a lot of people kind of, you know, some people want it. It's a, mus- it's a, it's a spoken, it's a hearing skill. Um, why am I bringing this up? Because I used to want to be a musician. I used to, that was my dream, to be a musician. Since I was 10, since I first discovered electric guitar, I was like, I want to do that. Because it's the coolest thing ever. At least it was in the late 90s. It's not cool anymore. Now it's like all about like uh, rap. Yeah, hip-hop. Yeah, white music is not cool anymore, but it was when I was growing up. Like, nothing was cooler than an electric guitar. So I was like, I want to know how to fucking improvise on that, not just play, like, other people's songs. I wanted to be... I wanted to be able to do what Jimi Hendrix did. Not to his level. Not, like, not replicating what he does. I just want to be proficient enough musically that I can do it to his degree like in a way that allows full creative expression this is a very serious episode like i'm not being funny right now at all this is 11 a.m and uh so i used to really want to be a musician and i knew as a very small kid that if you have perfect pitch you're going to be able to play whatever you want because you'll, you'll just know what's in your head how to play it on a piano because that's what I wanted. That's what I had, the ability. I'm a, I, have a, I have the ability to compose music. So I hear shit in my head, and I was like, well, it'd be nice to be able to just play as it comes out. I don't want to have to like think about it, like, okay, what note is that? No, I want to just have something in my head and play by ear. That's what playing by ear means. Um, but not everybody who can play by ear has perfect pitch. It, they could achieve it with other forms of training you could develop relative pitch which unlocks your ears it opens up your ears to be able to decipher um what's going on between the notes not the notes themselves just what's going on between them the intervals so you could hear a chord of complicated chord and you could hear every single you know every single note in it because it has a certain sound and because you could actually hear the individual notes because it unlocks your ears it improves your hearing it's a very good skill to learn perfect pitch on the other hand is very difficult to learn that's the controversial thing and that's why it's interesting to me is that a lot of people say that it can't be learned there's some truth to that there's not a lot of data to prove that it can be learned there's a couple studies and a lot of people don't know what it is. So the reason, I, so that's one of the reasons that I'm fascinated by it. I've been fascinated by it since I was, like I said, a small kid. But then I, uh, I didn't have, I don't have perfect pitch. I could have had it if somebody like sat me down at a piano and I was a toddler and said, "Okay, remember that this is a G. Remember this is a G sharp. Just remember all of the twelve sounds because we all have them in our heads. The only difference is that people with perfect pitch have mastered the actual intrinsic." quality that makes a g a g or a g sharp a g sharp 
Um, it's, uh, that's what they have mastered, usually at a young age. I mean, sure, they could have it without knowing it. That's absolutely possible that they just never really put it together, that they have it. Uh, but everybody has the subconscious ability to detect the intrinsic quality, or at least they have it internalized. This is what I've just been kind of figuring out even though I've also read it or heard it other places by the authorities on the subject. Isn't very few people are authorities on this subject. That's also why it's interesting to me. I like very niche ideas or topics. And uh, even people that have full, perfect pitch, it's also called absolute pitch because it's absolute. You could tell, you just be, any note has nothing to do with where it is on the scale. It's an absolute chromatic uh, quality. It's like a color. Uh, every note is like a different color. You could compare it to that. Uh, but it's sound. It's, this, it's, the, it's a sound color. Not, it has nothing to do with the visual spectrum. So anyway, even people with perfect pitch don't really know that much about it. They just know they have it and they don't, they don't like it because they complain because they could hear when everything's a little bit off. Uh, but they don't know, I don't know, Like just because you have it doesn't mean you know much about it. It doesn't mean you know if you could teach it to other people, but a lot of people say, no, you can't, it's impossible. So that makes it kind of this like very like sought-after thing. It's like this thing that you either you have it or you don't. It's like a, So it could be confused as a talent or a gift. It's not a fucking gift. It's, it's only a gift in the sense that it's very, very difficult to acquire as an adult. But when you're in the critical learning phase of your life, it's extremely easy to pick up, which means it's not really a gift. It's just something you have to, to develop in early stage development. So does that mean it's impossible to learn as a 30-year-old? Uh, no, it's not impossible. It just takes a lot of practice because you have to slowly open your mind's ear Every day, you got to keep exercising. You got to keep lifting the weights. And then naturally, if you're doing it correctly, you will gain perfect pitch. And the problem is to fully gain it, to, to be just as good as somebody who had it as a kid. That part I haven't done. I haven't achieved that because I gave up because I finished the course. I bought these CDs way back in 2010. And I did the lessons every day. I got through them. I finished it, and I started developing perfect pitch. Some, like 40%. I never made it to full perfect pitch where I could just, boom, that's a G flat, boom, that's a B, boom, C sharp. Uh, but that's what it means to have perfect pitch, is that it takes absolutely no thought. It's a passive skill. You don't have to think about it. You just hear a no. It's like detecting a color. You look at a color... You don't have to think about what color it is unless it's like a, one of those illusions or whatever. Uh, it's the exact same thing with the perfect pitch. You could just be exposed to any sound for any length of time and it just hits your ear a certain way. It hits in your brain perceives it as, it categorizes that sound instantaneously as C sharp, for example. And uh, so to achieve that takes a lot of practice to get it to that high level of, of uh, skill. Because I, you know, I know what it is. I know what it feels like to be able to tell a C from an F sharp or any, you know, something like that. Anything. There's, always, there's a difference between every note. 
if you don't have perfect pitch, you can still hear the difference between a B flat and an F sharp. A really good example is an F sharp compared to an E flat. Those two notes are so different sounding. Forget about where they are on the keyboard. Yes, there's an interval. There's a minor third in between those. So they have a da -na, da -na, da -na, da. But the notes themselves, regardless of the interval, don't let the interval confuse you. You can still hear passively without trying that the F sharp has a certain twanginess that the E flat does not have. The E flat is like mellow and very soft. doesn't matter what instrument you're playing on. Every instrument is gonna sh is gonna have an F sharp sounding more twangy, compared to the E flat. Like clearly, those those are different tones. So to actually fully memorize and internalize those sounds, yeah, that's that's what perfect pitch is. And and the, so the question is, can it be achieved? Yeah, I think so. You just need to really practice and know how to practice correctly because you can't just force yourself that's the fucking thing that I, is so interesting about it to me is that it's so like elusive like most people don't know what it is most people think it's impossible to achieve most people don't and then the, what's the point of having is there any reason to have it does it help you as a musician does it help you in other ways yes yeah most people who have perfect pitch are tend to be better at music they have some innate talent in music whether they pursue it or not even if you just lie around all if, you, if you're not a musician if you have perfect pitch you're going to be able to like put put together a mixtape that just fucking goes together fucking beautifully because you'll just have like this you'll be able to know like okay they're in similar keys subconsciously this is not you'll just know okay yeah i have a better appreciation for music and it helps you in, uh, in uh, perform music better but you know because it helps if you know exactly what notes what each note sounds like if you're singing a song you'll know if you're correct it just makes it easier it makes it more fun because it adds another dimension to music that you didn't know was there it's like so you see through on like a f you're playing 4d chess that's a great way to describe perfect pitch instead of just hearing the literal or yeah literal yeah you're, you're <laughs> You're hearing just the relative sounds, but with perfect you're seeing like through the bullshit, and you're seeing colors. So it's like going from seeing in black and white to seeing in color. So yeah, you're gonna have a much better time in the music field, but also it helps you in the field of everyday communication because you could understand people better. Uh, when I first started developing it, I uh, first noticed when I was actually like making progress because i was i was not a musical i was not born with a good ear everything that i learned or everything i accomplished yeah i i had to like learn everything i was not born with any musical talent except for the ability to uh to compose a little bit i knew i had that but not so yeah so everything else i got to work on and uh so yeah you could hear people better you could understand people better based on, uh, like, over the phone. If, you, if somebody calls you, you don't know who the fuck it is, you could tell who they are just by their voice a lot easier. So anyway, that's enough on that topic. And it's something I'm trying to achieve actively right now. I, st I gave up on it in 2012 because it's like, okay, I finished the course, but I, I don't know what exercises to do to refine it to the point where I could just be like, bah, it's a B flat, bah, it's an E sharp, whatever. I don't, I don't, know, I don't have it yet. I want to have it. Uh, so 
another really th quick thing about that, because I, mean, I happen to be kind of interested in it, is that uh, we, all have, we all have a subconscious ability to choose specific tones in the same way that uh, people with perfect pitch can identify them. Uh, for example, like any time you are speaking with an inflection in your voice, what does that mean? It means you're choosing specific tones to condone or to convey an emotion or a form of communication, some type of communication. If you speak monotone, nobody's going to know what the fuck is going on. If you're just a robot, you might as well just text it out. So the whole point of spoken word communication is to use tonality. Otherwise, what's the point? We could just, there'd be no reason to like interview uh, criminals. There'd be no point of depositions if there's no such a thing as uh, inflections. Anytime there's like, oh, an inflection in your voice, like, what did you say? That right there, that raising of the pitch at the end, why did I choose that specific pitch? Yes, I chose to raise my voice. See, talking... Wow, I'm spending way too much time on this topic. This is going to be very time-stamped, so you can easily skip through it. Okay, very, very obscure topic. Okay, people with autism have perfect pitch. Um, speaking of monotone, I don't know why, if that's why they talk monotone. No. Uh, it's, so anyway, why did I choose those pitches? Well, w when you're talking, it's not like you're just saying notes. You're, you're moving your voice up and down all over the chromatic scale. Like if you saw a piano um, and every time you talked, the piano like showed which notes were playing as you were like, you know, what voice, what notes your voice was playing, it would be all over the map. Even if you just said a simple sentence like, I, like hello, that right there. Hello, hello. Fucking, can you believe how fucking, how much of a stretch that is? That's like right there. I just sang a fucking melody, a swooping melody. Not really a melody, but like I took a note and I pitched it down almost an octave. Hello, hello. If you really like um, accentuate it, if you really... Uh, um, you could tell that was over. That was more than an octave. Just saying the word "hello," hello. But I was doing it, that is a very like not normal way to say hello. That's a very sexual way. Like if you say that, if you if it takes you a full octave to say the word hello, you're probably trying to get laid. Hello. But that we do that all the time. So that's why people with perfect pitch don't really get annoyed by somebody just talking out of tune because usually they're not landing on any specific note. They're starting on specific notes. They're ending on specific notes. Like with that hello. Hello. I chose subconsciously without even thinking a note to start and end on because that's what all the, that's the most important thing because people pick up on that and that's how they decipher what you're doing, what you're trying to s communicate. So if you just speak, say monotone, okay, here's a better, here's a good example of perfect pitch and why it helps. Not even why it helps. We all already utilize it. 
You don't need to master it for it to be useful. The reason it's useful, the reason we evolved to have it, and also why dogs have it and other animals, is for communication. It's to be able to deliver a thought without having to write down a thousand words that we didn't have when we were cavemen. When we were cavemen, we were just grunting. So we had to know what different grunts meant. And we all know this. We still have that ability. If you, could, if you had a nothing but grunts, let's just try to do a podcast with grunts. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can see the podcast has not gone down in quality even without work. It's pretty much just as good as a podcast. And that's because of the power of tonality in, in spoken word communication. You could have a conversation all day. You could tell by the grunts what I was trying to communicate. Like, like all it is is just taking a pitch and moving it up and down. The chromatic scale. Uh, so let's actually apply words to it just to make it a little easier. So, you know, there's a lot of phrases. And this is another, actually, this touches on like, a, this opens up another can of words. Like, words are not that important, which I just kind of demonstrated. Like the podcast, just as good, just with, with me grunting into a microphone, you know? Uh, so you don't, you shouldn't be too hung up on people's choice of words. Like if somebody uses a word that's not quite the right, the right word for uh, the context, it's like, oh no, you, you should have used that word. I would, it would have been, you would have looked better if you used this word. Cause it's more precise. It's like, okay, who cares though? You get what I mean. So a good example of people taking words a little too seriously is the the word gay. Like, yeah, we all say it. I mean, at least everybody I associate with says the word gay in everyday conversation. Like, that's gay. It has nothing to do with gay people. Um, it just means, you know, I don't, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> like, that is a not that cool of a thing. That's gay. That sucks. It's just another way of saying that sucks. Uh, so it's not that... The words, the, the words don't really mean much. It's like, oh, that's gay. Yeah, that's gay. But uh, the way you deliver it does matter. And so this is uh, what inflection is. So you could say that's gay, or you could say that's gay, or you could say that's gay, or you could say that's gay. So there's many different ways of saying it. Like one means, oh, I'm not interested in something. One means you're attacking something. So those different things I'm doing involve pitch. So we're choosing these pitches in our heads. And I could even do it with like real notes in like a, like C and A, like C, that's gay, that's gay. So, you know, you could say that 
and be perfectly in tune with music. That all I was doing right there was playing C. I was singing, basically. I was singing in C, A. That's gay. So I wasn't really moving the, my pitch. I was only saying, that's gay. People do that all the time. People could say that, and it would be normal. Like, that, you could be that musical. That's gay. And nobody would call you on it. Like, why, why are you singing? I'm not. That's just, I'm just showing, I'm just inflecting to show that I'm neutral on that subject. Because if you say, that's gay, who cares? You're not that passionate. If you go up a little bit to F sharp, let's try that. And that's a C sharp. That's gay. That's gay. Whoa. All of a sudden, it has a completely different meaning, even though it's the same words. That's gay. All of a sudden, you can tell that I'm actually a little more critical. I sound a little more homophobic, like actually maybe I am being a little problematic when I say, that's gay, but not really. It just seems like I'm being kind of like dismissive instead of, that's gay, that's gay, that's gay. Very different meanings behind the tonality and all. And so music is in that. We're using an F sharp a very twangy note versus a C, which is more mellow and rounded. That's gay. That's gay. So we do that all the time. Like we use B flat. We do like, it doesn't matter. Who cares what the note actually is? I don't have perfect pitch. I'm just saying we do choose absolute pitches to denote different emotions. Wow. Huh? No. So that's a good way to train yourself to maybe develop perfect pitches is by actually thinking, like, why am I choosing those tones? What are those tones, and why do I choose them so often in my everyday speaking voice? I don't know. Just something I figured, just something I found very fascinating. I'm not going to spend any more time on this because it's a very boring topic to most people. Anyway, so we talked about comedy. We talked about race. We talked about, a lot about sex on this podcast. Um, we all know that Jews are an inherently funny race and that women are inherently uh, unfunny, um, except for black women. But what about Irish people? We haven't talked about them. We've talked about how a lot of people are not funny. Let's talk about how another race of people are besides Jews. Because Jews are funny, obviously, as a survival mechanism because everybody hates them and wants them out of their country, so they had to develop personalities, interpersonal skills to show up, you know, to get along with people. Like, no, 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 no. I could watch this. I could talk out. I could talk myself out of this situation. So that's why Jews are funny. But why are Irish people so fucking funny? Because I've been doing comedy for like 10 years and like I pretty quickly picked up that the only funny people are either Jews, blacks, or Irish no exceptions. There's if you're Polish, get out get out of town. If you're okay, there's some funny Polish people. Anyway, so Irish people are funny, I think, for the same reason that anyone else is, because of oppression. 
Oppression makes you funny. And, and yes, we do have more on that later on. We're going to be talking about oppression on this episode. Let's actually see how long I've been doing. I spent so long talking about that perfect pitch bullshit. We're already 48 minutes in the episode. Let's, let's go right along with the uh, meat of the episode. So I don't know if I mentioned this ever. Like I've definitely talked about Jews on this podcast pretty much every episode. I love, I mean, hey. I'm allowed to. I'm half Jewish. I, that, I mean, so, <laughs> so being half Jewish, what does that mean? It means that uh, you have half Jewish genetic material. It just means that your dad is Jewish. If your mom is Jewish, you're, you're Jewish. You don't have to say half, even if you're only half on the mother's side. If your mom fucks an Italian, they don't care. They say, oh, no, you're still Jewish. You're still just as Jewish as every other Jew who's ever been Jewish. Um, according to the religion, according to the old religion that's been around for so long and that nobody really follows anymore, um, it's usually people that are not Jewish that call me out for only being half Jewish. Like, I, I, I don't always call myself half Jewish. Sometimes I just say, yeah, I'm Jewish. I got the last name. I'm pretty Jewish. I mean, just, you know, I got a, like a very Jewish last name. And so if I say I'm Jewish, they go, oh, on your dad's side or on your mother's side? I go, well, I'm half Jewish, so it's on my dad's side. And they go, oh, then you're not, then you're not Jewish at all because it only passes through the mother as if I'd never heard that before in all my life. And then I go, yeah, according to the religion, which, no, which you don't follow. Are you religious? I mean, if you're not religious, I don't see why that is relevant because we're talking about genetics when we're talking about Jew, like that, the fact that I'm Jewish. Yes, there's some tradition to it. Like I was raised culturally Jewish as well, but that's not what I'm fucking talking about. I'm not a religious person. I don't care about the tradition. I'm talking about the race. I'm talking about Ashkenazi. So if people really want to, you know, get... Uh, gatekeepy about it I'll just be like okay sorry not to trigger you I don't mean to trigger you by saying that I'm not f following some religion that you also don't follow so to not trigger I'll just call myself Ashkenazi if that's a problem because some people do have a problem with it so I'll just be like okay well I mean Ashkenazi I'm half Ashkenazi and then usually they would maybe only be half Ashkenazi too I mean like anybody who not everybody is full Jew. Uh, a lot of people are only a, a small a bit, a degree of Jew. And all I'm talking about is the genetics. That's it. I don't give a fuck if your mom, what your mom, I don't give a fuck about your mom. So anyway, so I'm Jewish uh, in the sense that I have the, uh, the history of Judaism in my, in my bloodline. Um, and I have a pretty good IQ. Um, I'm capable of doing Jewish things. That's, that's kind of what matters. That's why it's relevant. Why would we care about this if there wasn't any point to it? Well, obviously Jews are good at certain things. They're very, good. They're very smart people. They're very successful. So yes, I want to be Jewish in that way. I want to do shit with my life. I want to achieve things. But anyway, the reason I bring it up is because we're actually going to start talking about it on like a serious level, I guess, because you know, I do fuck around a lot. And I do talk, do a lot of like Jew jokes. And the reason for that is because I have a sense of humor. And I like to poke fun at anything imaginable that just happens to be funny. I don't... Nothing is sacred. I don't give a fuck. I'm not like... 
I'm not, I don't care. I don't like murder people based on these jokes. It's for fun. Also, I am Jewish. So I, if I'm not offended, I don't really care if other people are because I'm the one who's I'm being made fun of. Anyway, speaking of that, well, you know, kind of another thing that reinforces that opinion or position on it is that my grandpa was the exact same way. He also had a very good sense of humor, as you'll soon find out. He knew how to laugh at tragedy. He knew how to talk about things that maybe not everybody was comfortable talking about. And he went through some things that maybe not everybody has gone through or is even comfortable talking about for other people going through. It's a very heavy topic. He, uh, what did he go through? He, well, he went through uh, this thing called the Holocaust. I don't know if I ever brought that up. I tend to kind of not bring it up because it's like virtue signaling kind of like, I, I descended from a Holocaust. Like, who gives a, like, that just seems like bragging. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm one of, I'm from a very like, uh, trodden, like I'm from a, I descended from like a slave. Like this dude was, a, he's, he was a slave, in a slave camp. And so he survived and his last name is Weichselbaum and if he did not survive, I mean, there's not that many Weichselbaums. So that's a Holocaust fucking name. Weichselbaum is a slave name. That's why I'm keeping it. Yeah, I, mean, you know, I have other dumb little stage names I use sometimes just for ease of access. But Weichselbaum, I'm going to keep because that's a fucking name that carries weight to it. It, 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 it wouldn't be here if, if, if the dude was not a uh, very... You know, resilient motherfucker. So he had no problem joking about the Holocaust, dude. He had many jokes about it. Maybe, I don't fucking know. I, he, he's not alive anymore. He died in 2018. I can't call him up and ask. I cannot interview him on this podcast, but I can put him on this podcast um, because he was interviewed in 1989 for a some sort of commissioned thing where they interviewed a bunch of Holocaust survivors. The Holocaust Museum interviewed them. Uh, and it was, I believe, Steven Spielberg was involved because he wanted to get a bunch of research. And it led up to him putting out Schindler, Schind Schindler's List, which is a movie I've never seen because I don't have to. I could just, I could just ask my grandpa, hey, what, was that accurate in this scene? He's like, he lived out that movie. Like he also lived out many, many other movies, like uh, *Inglorious Bastards*. There's scenes that he literally, he was in those fucking scenes, like the farm, the like hiding Jews. He just nonchalantly just throws out that yeah, you know, he tried going to a farm, but yeah, you know, a farm was like you know, I can't just keep a bunch of Jews here. They'll kill you know, they'll kill, they'll kill me. So he you know, so he went to the ghetto. He didn't know how to speak Jewish. He didn't know how to speak Yiddish. And uh, even though he was raised you know, in a Jewish household, his dad and parent, his parents spoke Yiddish. He just called it Jewish. He's like, I never learned how to speak Jewish. And so he got made fun of that. So he was, he, even he got made fun of for not being Jewish enough. And he was pretty damn Jewish. I mean, come on. He was almost killed for it, for God's sake. He was almost genocided for being Jewish. I think he uh, is allowed, he's allowed to joke about the Holocaust. And he did. Absolutely he did. So anyway, with enough, that's enough 
further of, I guess the reason I'm setting it up is because this is actually like something I'm actually kind of like very, this is very meaningful to me. Um, this is not like a joke that I'm about to play. Like, this is actually an interview conducted with my, the legend that was my biological grandfather. His name is Joe Weichselbaum, and he was not afraid of the limelight. He fucking murdered this interview, and he set a good example for how you should act if you are a victim of anything. He is a great example of, of the best way to live your life. And, and, you know, he's, he did not play the victim card. So I'm going to play a couple clips that I curated um, from a long interview. It's an over, over an hour long. You could easily look it up. It's available online for the public. It's public domain. Um, so I have no problem sharing this with you. It's not like that private. He would probably like that I'm sharing it because, you know. Anyway, I don't know. Whatever. I can't. I don't really. I'm just saying he probably would not mind because this was his moment in the sun of spotlight he helped spielberg make the movie better you know so i think that's enough setup so i'm going to give you an example of uh what he sounded like i cleaned up the audio this was a painstaking process but i was passionate i was very it was a fun process too because i was re i was listening to my grandpa's voice who i haven't listened to in a long time he was a very intelligent person he had bad dementia though in the last 10 years of his life. So he, it was very, you know, he lost his ability to talk about this stuff a long time ago. So just hearing his voice was very therapeutic to me and empowering to hear this guy's voice. Uh, and I remastered it and I cut out the, uh, the bad, you know, background noise. So you'll be able to hear it. So here we go. Here's a uh, here's an example of my grandpa. What I think, I think that it can happen anytime and in any country, including this country, if we're not careful. Any place it can happen, and in any any time. There is so much bad in people that uh, you know, and people people believe in and uh, you know somebody gets on television or on the radio and 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 talks and he's so convincing and people believe in and those things and although it's uh, you know a terrible thing but people get so excited about it that i i don't know we just got to somebody has to be always on the lookout for <laughs> that it doesn't happen again because it can happen any place. So that's as good as quality as it's going to get. You, could, you know, it's a, it, you could tell what he was saying. He's got a thick accent. You know, he, he had a very interesting accent. Like it was a mix of, I don't know what, but it was an interesting accent. Um, he was a very, like, you could, he was laughing in that clip. As he was talking about the fucking Holocaust, he was like, he was like fucking cracking himself up by when he was talking about how we got to make sure it doesn't happen again. Are you he was like, I don't know. We're gonna make somebody's got to do something. Somebody's gotta make sure it doesn't happen again. And that's me right now. No. Like, um, so that's just the first clip. Very poignant fucking clip. Like that was a very that was the end of the interview. That's where it went straight to black because he was. That was a profound fucking thing to end on. 
So here's another clip, and I could play the video too. I could very easily do that, but for some reason I was like, nah, I'll just play the audio. You'll see what he looks like. Anyway, so uh, prejudice. Here's what he's asked about how the Holocaust changed like his personality, like his, his uh, views or whatever. Like, how do you think your experiences, all that you went through, how did it, uh, did it change you? Uh, did it cause a change in you in any way? Did it change his outlook? How did it change his outlook, personality traits? Well, I think uh, I understand people better. I'm uh, I'm not so fast to judge, and I, you know, and I'm not prejudiced. That's the most. That I, you know, there's no, no prejudice to this. Uh, I, you know, after the war, I was four years in Germany, and I had a good time, and I think that helped a lot, because, uh, you know, if we would have come right away here, we're still with all that hatred. That way, we we even got to know the Germans a little better, you know, and we we found out that not all the Germans are uh, Nazis, you know, and that they were good people and. Uh, too, and uh, the main thing is that uh, I think if I if I was ever prejudiced, I, I'm sure not uh, after that experience, you know, because I I can see that uh, what that brings to you know, and it can uh, can happen to anybody, to any race or religion, you know. So that's coming from a Holocaust survivor. He's saying he's not prejudiced. After going through a genocide, he's actually that removed his. I mean, okay, I, of course, there's logical. That's there's that's a logical statement. I mean, of course, you see other people's prejudice. If you're a victim of prejudice, wouldn't the thing to do be to not be that way? To not continue to you know, like be the thing that. I mean, it's simple to me, so I guess that's why I feel like I can't even explain it because it's so goddamn logical. Like, yeah, if you're a victim of prejudice and to the point where your whole family is murdered um, from it, yeah, you probably don't want to do. You probably don't want to be prejudiced. So he's a victim of of that to pretty much the highest level that you could possibly be <laughs> victim. And uh, that was his attitude. He was like, well, I don't judge people. I'm not prejudiced because it could happen to any race in any country. So he, he was a Democrat. But what he just said is not something that the Democratic Party would sign off on. They would not co-sign anti-prejudice. No, they're very prejudiced. It's very good these days to uh, to prejudge. Like if you're... A conservative, that's all people want to know. It's, oh, you're conservative? Okay, I already made my decision. That's prejudice. He would not be that. He would not condone anti... Any Like, he wouldn't condone bigotry, it sounds like, based on that clip. This is in 1989. So that's when... That was considered a pretty reasonable thing to say. But these days, if you say that it could happen to any race in any country... That's where it's coming, kind of becoming a little bit more relevant of today. To today, it's becoming cyclical. 
I'm not saying the Holocaust has happened. I'm not that far on the right that's, that believes in like uh, white genocide theory. But my grandpa said it could happen in any race in any country. Let's just keep that in mind. That's all. We don't have to belabor that point. It's just like, okay, so he would probably be a Republican. He was not a, he was not a Republican at all his whole life. He was super, he hated um, Rush Limbaugh. He was a direct victim of anti-Semitism long after the war. I mean, as soon as the war ended, he went to Poland. He didn't, he didn't go to Poland. He heard about, he, he was a smart motherfucker. This guy survived the hell. He was not like a dumb guy. So he heard, uh, you know, we could, we could talk about his time in the Holocaust, but let's, I'm just talking about once he got liberated. He, he heard through the second hand, no, don't, don't, don't go back to Poland. Are you fucking nuts? They'll fucking kill you, dude. They still hate Jews there. <laughs> Even though you're from there, they don't give a, no, you're Jewish. They don't give a fuck. They will, you'll ask for your parents' belongings, which they probably have, and then since they don't want to give them back, they'll just fucking kill you. So he didn't go back to his homeland. He went to Germany. Because Germany was actually not, I mean, sure, there was still anti-Semitism in Germany, but also there was some Germans who weren't anti-Semitic. They fucking helped out the fucking Jews. He lived on a farm with fucking Germans after the war for a little while. So that was after the war, so he didn't have to worry about people scalping him or whatever. Whatever, whatever fuck happened in Glorious Bastards, it was after the war, so he was a little bit safer. Not, and then he was asked later on, um, if he ever considered, like, taking revenge. So let's see that clip right here. Well, I tell you, I was so weak. <laughs> I, did, I didn't, I don't know. Well, I was with a group of people, you know, you do what the others do, but I don't, there was no heart for it, believe me. You know, Jewish people are not... Uh, are different, you know. You can, what can you do, you know, I mean. So, there's a lot of things going on there. Like, the, he, he rattles off so much of history is in such a way that, like, there's so much layer, there's so many things that he just said that are, like, uh, you could really unpack. Like, he said, well, we, we, I was weak, didn't have the heart for it, so I physically couldn't. But if other people were, I, I would have joined in because that's human nature. So there you go. He just described why the Holocaust happened in the first place. And also he admitted, him, you know, he said himself, well, if other people were doing it, I would have joined in because that's kind of what you do. So he understood the psychology from both sides of the coin. And like, so also, the funny part is like when he said, he, he kind of corrected him, he kind of course corrected because he didn't want to say what I think he was going to say. For it, believe me. You know, Jewish people are not uh, are different. He wanted to say, Jewish people are fucking weak. You know, but then he changed, like, you know, Jewish people are different because he didn't want to say something that would obviously be a little bit kind of you know diminishing <laughs> of jewish 
people's strength when he's being interviewed by like Steven Spielberg because then it would have made it into the movie. He would have had to write in it in the like a bunch of weak ass Jews in Schindler's List. So thank God, you know, because he wanted to be a historical act. <laughs> he wanted the movie to be accurate. That's the whole point of why he interviewed my grandpa because Spielberg, he wasn't old and he wasn't in the Holocaust, so he had to interview people like my grandpa to make sure that the movie was accurate so he could make a shitload of money. So anyway, that's the second clip. I'm going to play one more, just one more quick clip about which... No, that was it. I replayed, <laughs> I replayed all three. So yeah, he, he, uh, he's quite a, character, a person to, that I want to... Didn't, I didn't know that I was like already taking something from his book because obviously I kind of was subconscious. He is, if you're fucking exposed to such a high-quality human being, even if he's your grandpa, like even if it's just like a, uh, two generations. I was, you know, I was raised by him a little bit. He babysat me. I, he, we talked uh, enough for, him, for me to be influenced by him a little bit. I saw that he was a very, like, stable, like, respected person. He, was, he, was, he had a very good sense of humor. He was the life of the, like, he could lead a fucking party conversation. And so, of course, he influenced me in some ways. And, like, I didn't know how much, though. I didn't know that I was also, that he also kind of was that smart politically to look through the bullshit and see how human nature is and, like, evilness and, like, not thinking all, all uh, German people are fucking evil just because they're German I mean, that's why he survived, because he had that fucking fortitude. And the reason I even started digging into this type of stuff is because, when, you know, when I discovered I have ADHD and that I'm suffering from it, or, you know, was, before I started taking amphetamine, um, holy shit, did he probably also have ADHD, because it's a Jewish disease. It's like you need ADHD to survive harsh situations. People with ADHD do better in emergencies. That's when we're calm because it's a, it's a dopamine fix. It, it's like, oh, I wonder if I'll survive. Let's fucking prove those assholes wrong. So that gives you enough dopamine that, that, un, you know, that, that lack of stability, like pure chaos. Like people are dying around you. People are getting their head, people are getting shot in the head. They're being sent off the gas chambers. He never saw a gas chamber. He didn't get into one, but he, he definitely noticed that a huge bunch of people were not in the camps that definitely showed up with him. I mean, hey, you know, just to kind of uh, get a little bit into the whole like conspiracy stuff about whether gas chambers actually existed or not. Well, I think they probably did because he showed up with people and then they, he never saw them again. There was like this thing where they decided if they were good enough to be, you know, a worker or just euthanized. And they had different color badges to indicate if they were a good worker, if they were, you know, if they were, I don't know, there were different color badges to indicate. And he had the good kind of badge like that showed that he was a hard worker. As much as the Nazis are fucking horrible, they did say something that was kind of true. On the fucking gate, it said, uh, Arbeit, well, I forgot the fucking phrase, but it means work will set you free. 
And in his case, yeah, he worked. That's, what, that's why he survived, because he was a worker. He worked. Um, of course, that was not true for everybody who worked their ass off. They still died of typhus or whatever. They still like got killed in some other way. Uh, if you tried to escape, they hung you in front of every other prisoner in the camp. Um, they had electric fence all around every, all the camps. He was not just in, all, in one camp. He was in a lot. Uh, he was 18 years old and he was liberated, I believe, in the, yeah, 17 or 18. So he was like a young man hardy, and also being small, he said, attributed to his survival because he didn't eat as much food. I mean, you know, he was starving. And also people died just by being fed food because they were so fucking starving that you can't just eat a fucking meal. You got to slowly nurse yourself back to health. That's like a deadly fucking, I don't know how he survived that. So he, he had, he was a survivalist. And so it's like, yeah, ADHD helps with that. So he pr- probably had it. That's why it descended down to pretty much everybody in my family. So I'm just waiting for the next fucking like, genocide to happen, and then I'll fucking shine. Because I was built for that. And also, like, why the, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I'm not, like, after watching that fucking interview, like, knowing what he went through and how much uh, strength he had in like his attitude towards humanity being positive still towards the end of the till the last day of his life he was a positive person even when he had alzheimer's he had alzheimer's which was also a, was also a nazi invented alzheimer's was named after a nazi uh, doctor or some shit anyway he uh, was a very jovial positive force on the world and so i want to also be that uh, I'm still gonna make jokes. I'm still gonna like make dumb jokes that offend people, but like that doesn't mean I'm not trying to get something out. I'm not trying to like not be positive, I'm not trying to be toxic. So anyway, I want to do something with my life because like I'm carrying such a rare thing. It's a rare thing to be that. It's a rare thing to be like a dude that came from that. So anyway, I, I don't know. It's very palpable the feeling of like I got. I'm gonna be. Not famous. I don't. It's not about like, oh, I gotta become famous. But I do need to. It's not. It's not a. It's not a desire. It's. A, it's like more than a desire. It's a essential thing that I need to do something significant with my life, that is positive and is a value additive to the world. I want to add value to the world, because he's not here anymore. Yet he's probably the most inspirational person in my background in my formative who i am as a person is most influenced by him and he was the shit so i kind of want to be the shit as well so anyway that's this was a very non-funny episode but maybe it doesn't matter none of them are that funny some of them just you know i'm just vomiting a bunch of dumb so you know like if i'm bombing like at life why did he survive the holocaust is kind of the way i looked at it it's like so he (laughs) okay so that was a good episode we covered all the topics there's not a single hitch in the uh the planned audio drops and all that shit i don't know why i'm still talking this has been episode 49 of the tim weichselbaum program i will see y'all next week another quick thing 
I'm officially one year sober from alcohol, 365 days to the day. One year ago, I chased, I was thrill-seeking, and I, I already talked about this, but anyway, one year sober from alcohol, I'm current, now I'm on amphetamine, and I don't have to do other drugs anymore. That takes away the desire to consume. It makes you want to do, it makes you want to make stuff. Even consuming ice cream is like a chore. It's like, I don't fucking want to eat this shit. And I was, before, I had binge eating disorder. I've talked about that on this fucking podcast. That's why I'm doing this fucking thing. There's act, like, I'm actually like connecting the dots in, in solving problems in my life. And I'm trying to get my brother, not trying that hard, but like, I, I, of course, I want him to get treated as well. Um, for his ADHD, which he seems like he will at some point. It's like the thing is, I, it has to be his idea. It can't just be somebody forcing him to take a medicine. That's not how that works. You got to actually want to be better. That's why I'm taking. I'm not because I want to get high. It has a horrible come down. So even so, yeah, getting high from Adderall is a bad place to. It's not what it's good for. There's other drugs for that that are better. Meth is better. Meth is better just as medicine. Um, but I don't need to be on it quite yet. I don't need to be on the Walter White shit quite yet. I have thought about how, how I would approach the topic with my doctor. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to fucking ask him for meth. Slowly. like I'm gonna, It's going to slowly come up. I'm not going to go into... I mean, I want to give away the secret... This, this is just something that I have to do myself. I'm not going to give the secret recipe on how to get legal meth. You have to have very serious ADHD, and you have to have you know, a specific reaction to the other drugs. You can't just get prescribed meth if you don't really need it. I mean, I'm very sensitive to Adderall. That's why I think I might actually be a good candidate for meth. As ridiculous as that sounds. So anyway, this has been episode 49 of the Tim Michaels. So I will see you next week. Have a good one. Yeah.